Hello. Hello. How are you? Hello. Hello, Hello. Merlin. Hello. 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 <laughs> Hello. It's a podcast. Yep. It's a podcast. Hey, it's a podcast. Me. Merlin Man. Hey. hey, everybody. Today, I want to talk to you for real about an issue that's affecting us. Yeah, tell us more. Tell us more, man. Yeah, man. A lot of things. Yep. A lot of things out there. I don't know what they seem right now. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You're so right. Yeah, man. You ever meet a puppet and it turns out it wasn't a puppet? A lot of fake puppets out there. What? What? Yeah, keep your head on a swivel. Oh, man. Girl, right? Oh, man. False puppets. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I'm still <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Woo. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have, man. I, I, have a, I have a liminal space somewhere between sleep and, not meditation, worry. That's uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's a practice, and mm. sometimes I just like to sit with that for a minute, and then that makes me late. To be I in schedule the liminal my lateness. space. Huh? To be in the liminal space. Well, if I've got the some p- fresh limbs, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you, earlier today, you sent me a message that said, let's... Uh, no, no, what it said was it was four, four it was total five characters. Four yeah. numerals and a question mark. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what I interpreted... Let's not, let's not put this in a fancier box than it needs. Eleven thirty <laughs> to say it was, hey man, can we push push the recording of our show till eleven thirty? <clears throat> but no, it just said eleven thirty. Eleven thirty, and I saw it when I rolled over at ten forty five and looked at my phone he to see what time it was. Merlin again with this. <laughs> I was like eleven thirty. I got it bullshit. And so, what did I say? What was my reply? Um, I'm not sure. My eyes are still crusty. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I think you said uh, no punctuation because because we don't do that anymore. You said sounds good. Sounds good. Did I capitalize S? You did. Yeah. Yeah. That, maybe that was an auto. Yeah. Cap. Yeah. And I, you're probably. Yeah. You're. I think you're also supposed to include an emoji that doesn't mm. confuse or concern me. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. No. 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 Listen. Sounds good. Be, sounds Let, good. Or you just you're just not supposed to say OK or K. I think. Oh, uh, did I tell you this? Uh, no. Uh, uh, <laughs> <clears throat> I have a friend. I have a friend who uh, works uh, for Humble a company. For that's right, <clears throat> it's a girl. Whoa! Um, works for a, a founder-led startup, um, and the founder is from a uh, Eastern European country. Is this going to get that person in trouble? No. Okay. And when uh, and when uh, my friend would send messages to the to the CEO, the, the leader of the uh, startup, that's the leader of the startup, it's been founded. Uh, often they were uh, letters. Uh, did we talk about this already? Where mm-hmm. he would reply, he would reply, "Ack." Oh, maybe. I mean, it sounds. Hang on. I was deep. Nice. It sounds like more of a Ken, but it could be me. Um, we have had at least three episodes where we've talked about um, founder-led control startups. Wor- control words. Oh, sorry. It was at least five where we talked about <laughs> founder-led startups. And listen, no, I don't want to take. Reply- I don't want to take you off this critical Ack issue, but yeah, Ack. I would never work at a startup that wasn't. Uh, Led founder, by the founder. Led? Oh yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's how you know it's good. But no, he would reply every time. Every time there was a message that that had some in- information that might not have been what he was hoping for. Some, you know, not bad news, but just. Oh wait a minute! And did yeah. we make a joke about Kathy? Because I was Kathy. thinking, I was thinking just now, I wanted to make a joke about Kathy, and I said, I, I thought to myself, um, I'm pretty sure I've made that joke at least twice on here. Yeah, you know, uh, <clears throat> uh, Yokin, who's following us from the far, far, far north. 
Yoken. Does Yoken know Kathy's boyfriend Irving? He doesn't. I don't think he's familiar with the word with Kathy or Irving, but uh, Yoken definitely is familiar with instances where we make the same joke more than once. Because I think he has a database just devoted to like, oh, they made that joke again. Yeah, that's. I I think that's. I thank you for listening. (laughs) No, 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 no. Hang on. I mean, I mean this. I actually mean this to come out nice. Which yeah. is, I appreciate you not calling us on making a joke twice. Let me tell you why we do it, Yokin. Thank you for noticing we did a joke twice. Mm, mm, you mm. caught us at nothing. This is what the show is. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, yes, you there. You there. Sorry. Uh, it's really more of a comment than a question. Hey, Yoke, pump the brakes. I think a lot of people are probably wondering if we keep most of the Roderick on the line money in Silicon Valley Bank. Mm. And I want to, I want to assure people. What's going on with these tinglings in Congress? <laughs> Who's coming up with this stuff? I want to assure people that we're You fine. call that a jumbo shh. More like military <laughs> intelligence. <laughs> Shrimps can't be. <laughs> Anyways, let's take a minute. Let's take just, a, as we say in uh, improv, let's take a beat. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Whoa. John, John, did you put animal. all of our. Give, sorry, give let me, me a wild let, animal. Give me a, give okay, me a city okay. on the Mississippi. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, city on the Mississippi. Uh, Slavesburg. Slavesburg. I just stole a joke from. I'm pretty stole a joke. I just stole a joke from that very funny Mel Brooks show. No. Okay, hang on. Improv. So no. let's work out our improv routine real quick. No, oh no, once I won't I got either. Out of there, once, <laughs> just no. say, yeah. Uh, uh, once I got out of the improv trenches, I felt f- suddenly liberated to say no all the time. Now John, I just say, wait, now wait, I just say, John, it. John, no. did no. you put our money in Silicon Valley Bank? <laughs> I burned. <laughs> I burned the, the Slavesburg. I burned the roast. Let's see, you can't be in the show. I'm not going to do the voice. Um, Cucked by I, Fred Mertz again. I had a brownie for breakfast. Bow, now, now, now. Bow, now, now, now. Bow, now, now, now. I... Oh, oh, I used to be able to do that pretty well. Hang on. Oh, no. I, I can make a pretty good bong sound and a pretty good throwing up sound. You can Anyhow. do a bong sound? <laughs> I can... Um, I, uh, and I think the thing is, it's mm-hmm. really, it comes down to it being all about developing your own mm-hmm. little mm-hmm. way of communicating with people. Mm-hmm. I think we kind of, we have that, I feel like, uh, in some mm-hmm. ways it's always evolving, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's when, if a person in power is doing it very differently, that can be a problem. If anybody's <laughs> group of people start doing it, you know what I'm saying? Like, if, Oh, I see, I see. If is okay then it's okay yeah yeah ack ack is if ack is okay it's okay i'm sorry i was should we go back to the improv bit no 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 i i do do i go do i go mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, a lot no 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 you you only use it when you're obviously hoping i'll be done soon no 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 i think I think mm-hmm, mm-hmm, no, mm-hmm. no, but no, I think that's I think that's a I think that's me very very oh. much like in the in the swing of it. Well, maybe like, maybe Yokin can go check the glossary and find out what oh, this one. For I example, Yokin, what this one? Throw Yokin under the bus. See, I'm acting like it's real when it's actually part of that same bit. Oh, we're joking. Ready? What about this one, Yokin? Look this one up in your Yokin glossary. Yeah. How about this one? Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. 
Does that one mean the same as uh-huh? No, but there's uh-huh. Now let me uh-huh, ask you a third uh-huh, one. What's the, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then what does this one mean? Huh. Oh, I do that a lot. Huh. No, no, I do that a lot. That's mine. I know you do. Maybe I took it from you. Huh. You, uh, you, you can't take something that was given with love. Oh. You can't take it. Oh, that's I, sweet. I can't take it no more. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> you took that from uh, me. And see. <laughs> These guys got up there and did some bullshit for three minutes and then died, man. It's really weird. <laughs> Thank you, Otto. That sounds like a very good show. Only 40% of our listeners have punched out of this episode. Not coming back. Yeah, the rest know that, you know. This is the good shit. By the if end, you, we're both going to be crying. Yeah, I mean, Cedric Diggory might be dead at the end, but, you know, if you can save a sister, start swimming. Uh-huh. Did you watch the Oscars? hmm Yeah. We dipped for, we had it on, uh, as we used to say, taping. We had it taping. Uh, oh, God, my, t- my system for taping last night fucked up. And unlike my TiVo, which would always figure out that this thing is longer than it should be, um, my electronic taping yesterday... <laughs> Uh, we lost a whole bunch at the end, and I, I didn't. My kid took a shower, so he didn't get to see like all the awards that we've been waiting to see. Because we, you know, we dipped over to watch uh, uh, Last of Us. But yes, we um, came back, and yes, I, I watched. I watched the Oscar awards. Are people? I, I thought uh, the shots of people shows? at the mic were too tight. That's my Are, my that's my main thought. Do Do the people who listen to your other podcasts know all about your digital recording uh, setup, or is that a thing that you keep under your hat, kind of like uh, Dan keeps his? They don't know about the one that you're talking about. Oh, okay. okay. The one that I'm talking about is totally legal, and I it's part of the hundreds of dollars I spend every (laughs) month on media that I do not consume. Literally, yes. Yes. Anybody? How many? How many y'all out there got Hulu and Fubo? How many out there? How how many you out there got the best Fubo package? Ooh. And the best Hulu no ads, quote unquote, unquote, unquote package. Isn't Fubo like really big basketball pants? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's for us by one of us. Uh, Fubo. I got nothing on that. Uh, <laughs> I think that uh, I pay for a lot of things. You want to hear some of the things I pay for, John? Just just in case you just in case anybody ever feels like shooting a, shooting a shot over Cyrano's bow. Let me just make it clear to all of you. Mm. My nose is rather mm. large. Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell you, my friend. Uh, Netflix movie. Well, now are these eels? Are, are you are you are you gonna are you laying out your eels? Some of them, but I'll no. It's just to say that. Um, Let's hear it. Uh, no, no. With the I had the Fubo recording it, and then no, I should I should have told it like record for an extra. No, no, no. Tell me the things you pay for. I'm really curious. Oh, oh, you mean for like streaming stuff? No, you were about to say, do you want to know? No, you, it's not oh, even oh, about oh. to say. You oh, because the thing is, it's, said, it's, it's, an, it's an open know? secret that a, that a lot of us have progressed to a new level of ethics mm. where sometimes we say to ourselves, you know, if you want me to buy it, why don't you put it somewhere where I where I can buy it? If you want me to buy it. Yeah, put it somewhere Put I can it buy somewhere it. I can buy it. If you don't put it somewhere where I, where I can buy it, mm-hmm. I can't buy it. So what are some examples of things that people want you to buy that they have put places that you can't buy them? I don't know. Sorry, I can't say. No, no. Okay, oh, oh, no, no. But this is real. This is real. Like, I get I get all those things. And, um, but, but no. Criterion Collection? No, uh, Criterion Channel is what it's oh. called. But it's terrific. I mostly, what? I mostly get it for the, you know, people who say I read Playboy for the stereo reviews. Yeah, I, I I honestly do mostly look at I subscribe to Criterion because I like watching trailers for Criterion things. 
<gasps> wow. But I do watch movies on there too. A lot. What's the what is the thing that you subscribe to that you use the least that you think of every time you think of that thing you're like oh I should cancel that I never use it but then you you don't not only in a million years could you never guess it but probably I I would never be able to guess it do you remember on I guess it was on uh, not TBS on USA on the weekends remember Night Flight sure I subscribe to Night Flight it's a thing. Yeah, I've looked at it like five times ever. It's a thing you can subscribe to? Yeah, it's a lot of like Z movies, wacky stuff. Have, does, it, does it have Jack Black and Rad Boy? Uh, wait a minute. Are you talking about the pilot? No, Jack Jack Mac and Rad Boy. The, the, um, the, the Jack Black show? No, no, no. Lizard no. Beam, oh, Lizard I'm sorry. Beam and Jackhead or something no, like that? No, Jack, Jack Mac. Jack Mac and Rad Boy. I'll check. I don't uh, remember that. I mainly remember stuff like... Uh, like stoner shorts and was that where Ian Flux started? No, that was MTV. But uh, I, you know, I used to be Night Flight and Friday Night Videos. That's what I'd watch when I come home from being a busboy. Friday Night Videos. Mm-hmm. No, uh, Jack Mack and Rad Boy was a was a stoner short. No, um, and it was uh, it was about two uh, dudes, like a hillbilly dude and a punk rock kid, and they set off a nuclear war. Nice. Um. Jack Mack and Rad Boy, and uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, if you Google it and watch it, it's not going to make sense the first time you watch it. And so, like a lot of things that require that you be stoned, you need mm-hmm. to watch it between six and sixty times, mm-hmm. and uh, until all of the things that they say become catchphrases between you and your friends. Um, that really does. That sounds like me. <laughs> Jack Mack. Rad boy. No, no, no I love like, no, no. I love I love things that eventually become catchphrases. Yeah, I don't, catchphrases. I, don't I don't seek it out, but you know, it's the the wand uh, chooses the the wizard. So case. every once in a while, still, I'll be in a I'll be in a room full of normal people, and I'll say, "Get the lead out, rad." And people, because oh, that's from the, pro- the that's from the program. That's from the program, Jack Mack and Rad Boy from 1985. Oh wow! And only there's only three people in the world that if I said that would go. <laughs> or they'd say the appropriate response. Right, right, right. But I, but you'll, you'll find them someday. Nah, get the let out, rad. I, I, I enjoy things like that. And you know, it's like I say, I used to say to my little baby, those. we wait to cross the street. We cross the street when we're ready, not when other people go. Oh, and and I feel that because that's who we are. And yeah. I think also I make those references because I like those references. And some of you someday will, somebody will. You don't need to get it. it doesn't matter. If you're confused, consider that it wasn't for you. There's somebody oh, out there who knows what Jack Black and Radface is. Uh-huh, Jack Black and Radface. <coughs> oh, John. There are quite a few uh, people in my life who uh, believe that we have catchphrases. Oh, my God, John. You're talking about the show on the show a lot. No, no, no. But it's a thing where <laughs> it's actually a catchphrase that I ha- that I brought in from somewhere. Oh, and I then, see. Then they start using it because I use it all the time. And then they're using it. And then they think it's one of their catchphrases. But they don't know where it's from. And then pretty right. soon other people are using that catchphrase. That, that is something like, about catchphrases, and especially in the post-internet age, where like you'll be using a catchphrase and you may not even sort yeah. of exactly like know quote and when I say where it came from, what came from where it came from. Like whatever. However, well, it's it's yeah, fine. Like you it just it's not like important that you know. Oh god, we ran into one of those literally last night. I'll give you another one, bud. Um <clears throat> I don't know why I've been going to the mall so much. My kid and I went to the mall, get him some pants. Uh, uh, I was looking at, I didn't buy a Lego, but I was looking at Lego and, uh, what else did we get? Oh yeah. We got some, uh, we got some, uh, blueberry muffins at the Whole Foods. 
you know, you can afford Legos. If you're in there looking at them, why, why mm. don't you just get them? Well, Legos. Mm, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. What yeah, did you want? What did you want? Did you well, want a Harry wearing, Potter I was castle? Wearing my van. Oh no, we had that. We never finished it. I've got the. Um, I've got. I'm wearing Vans with laces. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we're walking along, and I'm carrying a bag, and the bag's got our pants. It's got all the stuff in it, and uh, I we're walking down the mall, and I say to my kid, "What a person, what, what, what father says to their kid, pull over, pull over." And that means we get pull all the way over to the window uh-huh. by a place that probably used to be a store. And I tie my shoelaces. Mm-hmm. And I said, I said to my son, you know, <clears throat> some people, they, th- they, th- they think it's keep moving or get out of the way. <laughs> and I said, it's, I, it's really important to know that it's keep moving. And he goes, yeah, I know, I know. And get out of the way. I said, Hasn't yeah, but do you understand, do you understand that you have to be, what, see, but people keep is this thinking. A bit, is this a bit between you two? Well, no, it's a bit in, with the world. We've changed well, it's everything. A bit, but it's a bit between you and me. Some people think. Well, a bit. I mean, it's a bit in the same way that the better angels, uh, angels of our nature is Abraham Lincoln's bit. Mm. It's, a, it's, it's a truth about a trying truth. to f- access a part of us that is better than. Yes. And, and then forcing it's ourselves to do truth, that Ruth. even if it's not convenient. Yes. Other Get people don't don't worry about way. your convenience. Worry about uh, you do both. So if I'm gonna tie my goddamn shoelace, I'm not gonna just you, you ever, guys. You ever be walking? Let's just say it at the supermarket, and somebody literally just stops. Yes. In, in the middle of the aisle. Now at the Uniqlo, one reason I like the Uniqlo is you can move pretty freely in those aisles, and, and the pants are cheap. The pants are cheap. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, yeah. I, I bought a pair of pants there once, and I wish I had bought six of those pairs of pants because it's the best pair of pants I ever had. I misunderstood Uniqlo, I have to admit. What did you think it was at first? I thought it was, I, I knew it was cheap clothes, but I thought it was like those kind of like comical clothes that don't really fit when you try them on, put them on, and then they mm. fall apart. Mm. It's actually not too bad. No, they last. But I'm, that's an example of something that could be construed as a bit. If you, if you weren't in my life as that became an instrumental practice, in the you know mid to late two thousands or whatever that was, whenever that was, yeah, sometime in there, yeah, sometime in my life, I st- and you know, and then that became a thing on our show. And sure, sure, I've sold you a shirt with that phrase on it. You mm. know why? Because huh. it's important. Yes. Yeah. When you uh, <clears throat> and your dude go buying pants, pants, uh, are you? I got a Mickey Mouse shirt. I'm wearing it right now. Are you hip to the high waters? Are you wearing high waters now? Because everybody's wearing high waters. No. Do you get high waters? No. Uh, like for example, yesterday, when I, I was wearing my Vans with laces, I was also wearing uh, Dickies. And because I have yeah. a short rise, and this is a country full of, uh, of ableists, it's yeah. difficult for me to get pants that I like. I end up cuffing the bottom. Sure, of course. I'll, do, I'll do, often do a single cuff. And then if I feel the shlicka, shlicka, shlicka while I'm walking, I'll, I'll do a little small. I'll, do a, I'll reduce the size of the cuff to a double cuff. But cup, I'm not yeah. even showing sock. Now, do you uh, do high waters? <clears throat> well, what <clears throat> what uh, what I've found recently is that there's a lot of pants um, in the slim fit variety that intentionally end at the ankle, and mm-hmm. honestly, they get so narrow at the calf that <laughs> I don't know if they could continue on that path and be a normal length. Like they they're petering out basically. As they get down into the lower leg. Oh, you're like, don't even show me the last third of the graph. I know how this ends. Yeah, it's just it's going to go down. It would cut. It would cut off your circulation if it. I mentioned continued. this before, but 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 people like Gene Kelly. Gene Kelly would make a pant a pant of wearing. Let me start again. Hello, 
Gene Kelly would make a point of wearing Gene pants. Gene Kelly would make a pant. Okay. Okay. You can't, no making up bits. Okay. <clears throat> Go on. Uh, you, you get a dark pant. You get a dark shoe. You get, then you wear a, a, a light sock, but you make sure that the sock is showing. And that gives, and it's the same reason a lot of dancers, you look at a Bob Fosse dancer while you're wearing gloves and a hat, because it looks cool. But it also really helps define the ends of your body in ways that make the movement more interesting and, honestly, easier to see. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Well, But, you, but you, you, in your case, you can't even get yourself all the way through the calf. No, I, 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 I've embraced it. I've embraced it because- You're still wearing tight pants, John? Well- This is a thing you did a few years ago by design. There was, and you started and, wearing tight pants. You told us. Well, there's a little bit of a thing where you know, if you buy, if you're me and you buy a thing, <clears throat> you expect that thing to last for uh, two decades. You might want to update buy, that eventually. I want it to last for two decades. So if okay. I make a fashion choice, if I t if I turn a corner, you know, I'm going to be <laughs> the guy that's got. Yeah. going to be the you guy. You buy a counterfeit Night Range shirt outside the concert and think this is going to last me for 20 years. It's going to last me for 20 years. That's Don't why I, I wear a preppy clothes because they always are the same. Yes, and that's true. And you can't buy you can the buy preppy polo clothes. shirts at Uniqlo. And if you had an alligator with you, you could put it right on there and look like all your other shirts. You could, you could, you could buy a, a polo shirt in at you. Uh, I, I pronounce it Uniqlo, but I, if you want to say Uniqlo, I called that's it Uniqlo till about two months ago, and then I was told by certain members of my family who despise me. Yeah, actually, it's Uniqlo. Chili. Eichmann. <laughs> so. I you could you could buy one of those polo shirts. You could go back in yep, time yep, yep. to nineteen twenty and say anybody for a game of tennis and you'd be invisible, right? Or not invisible. If you time traveled and hung amazing. out with, say, a Bill Tilden. Bill could lend you a shirt. And in your case, it might be a little bit, you know, you might want to ask for one like his uh not to say his fat shirt, but you're not. But you know, he's slender there's a slenderness to tennis players, but you could mm -hmm. be lent a polo shirt. Yeah. To then yeah, go yeah. out onto the ISM grass. Yeah, they're they're the same. They're the, the problem, same shirt. The problem with the uh, with the shirts of the last decade was they uh, the men's shirts. They all their collars were so small, tiny little collars. They oh. had button down collars, but the the collar was only like three times uh, the width of the button. You can't right, wear right. those. Those have to go into the garbage. They never should have been made. They never should have been sold. Oh, I'm literally on my feet right now wearing an example of exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and I can't. I never gold bought to, gold to socks. Oh, gold toe socks. For years, um, I would just order another six pairs of white gold mm -hmm. toe, not tube socks, but you know, athletic. Well, the socks, they're socks. They're just, mm -hmm. just like the socks you could get for a kid, you could get it for a grandpa. Like it's just those white socks with a literal gold toe. And they, and you know, so there's been all these articles that I think have been fascinating about like how people buy more clothes, they buy cheaper clothes, they wear them less, like all that kind of stuff. Like all the stuff that's an anti pattern to what you're describing. Mm -hmm. But you can all, and then, but like, and also like, hey, is it just me or is everything getting shittier? And it's like, mm, there's a lot of shittier. And, and one of those, for example, is cold toe socks. They change the way they make the socks. Oh, no. No, no, this is like this. I'm only providing, I'm, I'm not asking for sympathy, but just to provide an example of like, you know, when there's an article of clothing, let's set aside Levi's for a minute because they're made in so many different countries. And it's, you know, Levi's or Levi's, they're great. But, you know, I'm talking about like if you went in and bought, like, you know, Filson is probably a bad example. I need to cough. <laughs> But anything where you're like, I think a classic example today is the Instant Pot, where, you know, people talk about I've had this Instant Pot for all these years, and 
it died and I thought I needed to get another one, but I fixed it and it was fine. Or I did buy another one and guess what? It's exactly as good as the one I bought those years ago, right? That's, right, 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 right. It, That's you don't nice. mean to sound like an old man about stuff like that, except it is frustrating when there's something that you've always been like, okay, I, this is my version of this from now on. This is one less piece of bullshit I have to have on my mind in life. Because I don't, I mean, oh, you're a consumer. Yeah, I'm a consumer. I need something to put my feet in for shoes. Like, yeah, you need And I'd rather not in. think about that. But they, they change something. If you th I've always kind of wondered how you make a sock, like how many parts there are and stuff to it. Mm -hmm. But like some socks are more comfortable than others. And yeah. I think they changed the formula of gold toes. Yeah. And oh, by sure. which I mean, I think they changed the way that they are. I'm, I'm not sure. I watch enough fashion reality shows that I should know the name for this. But like, you know. It's, it, the, it's the woof. If you get the woof of the they pile the on it the right way. But yeah. if you change the formula and you make the pieces bigger or smaller. Or my, my guess is require fewer materials, but maybe very importantly, also require less of any kind of labor or construction. Mm. Right. And sure. so, but like they changed. The Some socks, socks changed. are more my, equal my than kid others. And I, my socks and I, my socks and I, it's early, John. My kid and I have been wearing the same socks forever. We just yeah. buy them and split them up. And then like, but it's like, wait, okay. So this thing that was done, it was a finished product. Yeah. The white gold toe or gray gold toe, the gold toe sock, this is all, I'm just giving one example. They were done. It yeah, was fun. Done. It was great. Everybody was making money from it. I was getting socks. Yeah. And now- they're just not as good, and I'm sure there's reasons. But isn't that kind of what we're talking about a little bit? If you if you if you skimp on, I mean, let, let's let's start. You're talking about menswear, like a, a menswear shirt, like a, not an Oxford necessarily, but a button up dress ish men's shirt. Yes, mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. and so like think about in the Hudsucker proxy. We're not to spoil the movie for you, but where Paul Newman's life was saved because that guy put in extra stitches on his pants just mm. because he wanted Mr. Uh, what's his name is Huntsberger to, to have good pants. Mm. Well, you know, the, uh, it just drives me a little bit crazy that I have to keep monitoring that stuff. I do understand it. If, if you have that men's dress shirt, right? So let's start at the beginning. First of all, maybe it doesn't have extra buttons. Maybe it doesn't have good extra buttons. Remember when pants would come with like extra, like sometimes an extra little bit of cloth if you had to mend it, you ever run across that? Sure. But you know what I'm talking about. I'm not trying to be silly. You know what I'm talking about, right? Sure. And so you understand on some level, we, we can't afford to give extra pants with our pants. We're going to cut back on that. In the case of a shirt, I bet you it does not fit as well. I bet the tailoring's not as good. The same reason that you would get an expensive garment is that like it's made to fit your body versus like it's a bunch of pieces we put together in Malaysia, no offense. And now like when you, when you skimp on that, John's not going to like his shirt. American, uh, famous American humorist uh, Tom Day once uh, said that uh, something to the effect that the uh, 1967 Ford F-150 was a perfect truck. And uh, and at that point, trucks were done. You didn't have to do anything right, right, else right. to them. You didn't have to add anything or I, take I anything do feel, away. I feel like at least in my head, Ken, and there are, there are I don't want to say products, but there are goods like that. That's true. Like this is as good as it got. And then it stayed that way. And again, this is separate from the strictly old man conversation of they don't make it like they used to. I do think this is a really a different thing because we all adjust. They probably made nicer shirts before we were born, John. That's one reason vintage stuff is great. That's one reason that in the 1980s, you could buy vintage clothes for a dollar, two dollars that would still last you another 30 years. I have them. I have them in my closet. You know I'm looking that at one right though. now. Yeah. Whereas today right you're going to go in there and it's going to be like the kind of things... You know, like the like people who didn't win the Super Bowl shirts, they give people in like, you know, South America. 
just not good stuff. So I was just recently in Charleston, as as I uh, as I described, I think uh, yeah. last last episode maybe, and and you know, um, you and your family went on a little trip. It had a business basis, but did you and your kid? Um, you did some adventures in the Yellow Zone. But the um the 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 thing about the thing about Charleston, you know, we talk a lot about uh, these things, these de- declining standards and so forth, and. And how things bland, blarf, and mm-hmm. Seattle and San Francisco, blah. <laughs> we do. We do that. Blah. Yeah, and uh, yeah. going to Charleston was a real, um, you know, it was a, it, it was a real eye-opener for me. And, and um, you know, in, in Charleston, people still dress fancy. Yeah, and, and that way it is like North Florida. And, like, if you're in, like, the white people culture in North Florida that I was in, like you, you don't dress like a hillbilly. Like you, you do, you do dress like my friend uh, Mike's dad, who's a lawyer. Like mm-hmm. you dress, you wear like chinos with a with a seam. You wear stuff that you could. You know what it is? It's like almost everything that men in the South wear. You could wear. Men, men of our station, you could mm-hmm. wear to a golf course, mm. which you can't say in necessarily probably in, in Seattle, right? I've never been to a golf course so at my- all. Mm, you never had lunch or anything? I don't think there's a real I'm, feel that you can guess that it's resort wear adjacent, but like there is a certain sort of a look to it. Again, succession, you think about the kind of thing that like Frank w- or you know would wear to a meeting. Like nobody dresses below that in public, in at least in like Tallahassee and in Charleston. The people I met at that real estate conference, they were all in sharp suits. Yeah, well, I've never seen Succession, so I, that's a reference that pe- passes me by too. But I no, I've never. If you can believe it, I've never, ever been to a golf course, except in high school we used to have cross country running meets, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we ran around a golf course. Maybe I should say country club. Would that change it at all? I've never been to a country club. Okay. So no, I your don't. Dad, you and your your dad never had events at a country club. Well, the thing is, we live in the West, and so country oh. clubs, there are golf courses, but most of them are public golf courses. Mm-hmm. And uh, country clubs, I don't even know if, I don't, there are tennis clubs here, mm-hmm. but yeah. I don't know, I don't know if I even know where there is a country club. I take your point, though. People in Charleston, you- well, Wait, uh, what is some- a country club? Tell me first of all uh, what one is. In the most, is it in, just like it's in the country? Are you are you having fun with me? No, no, no. It's okay I, if like, you are. I just want to know how to respond. I know that country club is a thing that people used to say on fifties and sixties yes. sitcoms. Well, I think for for the reason I said country club as against a golf course, uh, a country club, in my estimation of it, is usually a usually almost always private club. Yeah. And with all that that implies, meaning it costs money to join, it's probably costly to be a member once you have joined, and usually you need somebody to sort of sponsor you. It's it's all that kind of stuff that. But why like, why do you go? Is there a pool? Is there a like what is the point? What is the purpose of it? Oh my god. Um. Okay. Like real honestly, I can't tell if you're screwing with me. Um. The country club that, at which my family had a restaurant for a year and a half of my life, for example, was a very low end as country clubs go. Country club. But the idea is you have a place to go. You think about when somebody talks about in England, about in Britain, old shows going to their club. You know, it's a place where you can go and you can hang out. Now, in the country clubs I know about, you've usually got a pool. Well, you definitely got, you've almost, you've definitely got at least one golf course okay. and probably a putting green and probably a driving range. 
you've got things like, and then the, the sort of infrastructure around that of the people who take care of that. You can get golf carts, you can get a caddy, you can get all those things. Yes, you usually also have tennis, you usually also have uh, um, at least one pool. Oh, you it's have- a caddy shack. It's a caddy shack. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's ca- yes, it's a caddy shack. And then you, um, what's it called? I forget what the place is called. Gosh, I can't believe I forgot the name of that club. Uh, all I know is that Al Cervix ruining the place. I've never been, I've never been to one of these. And, um, but they also have things like they have a lot of rules because sure, people with sure, money sure. love rules. Sure. And so like, you know, no golf cleats in the um, dining room usually. Like you can wear golf shoes here, but not there. Then there's locker rooms. And, and then you could have things like spa or massage type services, all that kind of stuff. But I mean, in one cynical version of this, it's the ability to say, yeah, I belong at Seven Springs Country Club. I'm a member there. I can bring you as a guest sometime if you want to go. But that means also then if you're a big city lawyer, you go with the other big city lawyers to the club. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we do have that here and it's the tennis club. Oh, no. And I honestly, I'm, I, had never, I did not know that. That's incredible. And, and the tennis club here in Seattle is a thing where uh, you, you, I think the wait list is supposed to be something like 15 years long to or join. something like that to join. Wow. And um, it's very expensive. Can't they build more? I guess that, you know, it's a Veblen good. It's supposed to be expensive, I bet. Yeah, well, and it's uh, it's on Lake Washington, so they're, they're not giving oh, that they're not, real estate like away. Like Will Rogers says, they're not making any more Lake, Lake Washington. Exactly. Although its position on Lake Washington is kind of underused in the sense that um, what could be like like a 300 natural hazard. (laughs) Well, no, like a 300 foot wide beach, Sandy beach with the, you know, cause people do swim in Lake Washington in the, in the summer, Hmm. but here the, the tennis club, it has a tiny little beach for the children, but most of the stuff that's built along the the coast, uh, along the shoreline of the lake is just, it almost ignores that there's a huge, beautiful, and very expensive lake there. Right. Like that's, there's a, that's some serious white people shit. <laughs> they built Isn't it when you think about it? Yeah. Where you, where you ever like, you ever go to somebody's house? You know, you've been to like somebody's like nice house and you're like, oh my God, the view back here is incredible. And you're like, yeah, it's just hard to carry stuff here from the kitchen. We don't go out there very much. It's like, yeah, oh God, it's, I would sit out here every morning. You know, all those little places. dumb things where you're like, oh my God, I would just, I don't even crave your whole life. I crave your access to like this one place where it would be nice to read a book. There are there are a few spots at the tennis club where you have a view out over the lake where it's like oh that's nice, but mostly the club turns its back on the natural beauty, <laughs> and oddly, there's no place at the tennis club which costs an enormous amount of money to join, an enormous amount of money to continue to be a member there. There's no place there where you would want to be except on the tennis court everywhere else all the the big house the facilities the okay. food the the lanai the the drinks the swimming there's not even a swimming pool is there i like like i say but we, so you mean it's not like a place where you go and you park your car and you play tennis and leave yeah except not, so i'm so i'm like but tell me tell me if that's not true it's not a place because usually these places do have this a lot of components of like, uh, I mean, I'm leaving out a million things because I still can't tell if you're messing with me. But like, there's a reason a place like Mar-a-Lago exists and people want their wedding there. You know what I mean? Like you can get, you can have events. Like that was a big part of what we did at our terrible restaurant was, uh, you know, 
uh, uh, people would have events at the country club. But you're making it sound more like an urban get in, get out, more like a why, a fancy well, why. <clears throat> well, no, because it's meant to be that what you're describing. There's a giant old oh, mansion that's kind of been added on to six it. or seven times over the last 110 years. And it's rambling. And you kind of, in order to go in the front door, you have to walk across a parking lot down a very long flight of stairs. And then when you walk in the front door, there's not even, there's kind of a desk there, but it's not like there's not a grand hall or anything. You just kind of walk in and it's like, well, there are the bathrooms. And then you wander in. And it's like, I could have a meeting. Can I ask in when it was, space? when you feel like it was, let me ask you this, rather than asking when was it built, let me ask you this. When does it feel, uh, what decade or period reflects the decision making that went into how the buildings are, were put and put put together, like the buildings and how they relate to each other. Does, does it feel like ooh sixties boom? Does it feel like forties leftover money? Does it feel like seventies cheap out? Like what's the feel to it? So my family was uh, my family. They were members of the tennis club from the very inception, and my dad grew up there, and my uncle Jack grew up there, and um, and then the the family continued to be members. So this we're talking about the twenties and thirties. At which point I think it was just a giant mansion on the lake and a and a couple of tennis courts. It would it be? Is it, would it be? I'm sorry, I'm trying to figure this out on my own. To use a Colin uh, Moy word, would it be ghost for me to ask? I see Inglewood, Sandpoint, Rainier, Lakeview. Would it be ghost for me to ask which one it is? It's okay it, if it's ghost for me to ask. It is the Seattle Tennis Club. Okay. And if you if you Google it, you will find it there. It's perched on the. See, I like that name. I like the. That's that's almost like a German kind of cleanliness. So if you look, what at is this pic- place called? This place is called Seattle Tennis Club. Seattle. I, tennis I understand club. that it's a club for tennis in Seattle. I like the, I like that name. If you look at it, the best views. Oh my goodness! Are, <gasps> I see what you're saying from the tennis court. How are they not utilizing this? The best views are from the tennis court, a place where you are. Looking at a ball, literally. You're doing something else besides looking at the view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and then yeah. if you see over there, there's a giant parking lot. Well, that's built over the top of a indoor tennis facility. Okay. And then if you go over to the left there, you see the rambling mansion club building that has absolutely no. There is no, it, it is an architectural abomination. Let's call okay. it that. Um, it has no f- center or uh, what? It's not even center is I'm not the word. I'm trying not to be a creep for. and map view this, but like. Can well, you no, us- it's the Seattle Tennis Club. You can, everybody can no, find no, I it. I don't like using Google. It makes me uncomfortable. But oh, the, but the, uh, no, no, but like, how would you describe for our listeners who maybe I, don't have Google, how would you describe the sort of feel of the building? What's. What does this building want you to think or feel about where you are? So I think what happened um, was that, yeah, it was a it was a building that was built in the in the 1910s, and then it got added onto in the 1940s, <clears throat> and then in the 50s, and then in the 60s, and then in the 80s. And at no point was there a comprehensive <laughs> yeah. view of like what is this? What are we building? What are we trying for? And um, you know, my dad, like it was a place that they really did go. It was in their neighborhood, right? My dad just lived. Is this is East Seattle? It looks like. Is that what you call yeah. it? Uh, well, no, you call that Madison Park. But my okay. dad, you know, this was part of their turf, uh, just their neighborhood turf. And he eventually, I think, 
um, made a big show in the 1960s of renouncing his ne- his membership <laughs> to the tennis club because they wouldn't in- let in blacks and Jews. So he made it like a public announcement. I hereby, you know, leave the tennis club because of your your. Um, John, it sounds to me that- if I could say as your dad. But it sounds to me like he really he he renounced his membership. He did. He did it in a big he did it in a big way, so everybody knew uh, that it was that he was filing he was li- he was lodging a protest. Mm-hmm. Um, my, but the the rest of my family, not the rest, <laughs> rather rest of his family, I can still get in so, as a guest. <laughs> yeah, they didn't. Uh, they continued to have events there, and they continue to have events there to this day. I was there just the other day. Um, well, they must at some point have eased up on their policy i'm guessing well they do allow blacks and jews now that's yes. nice yeah it was nice it was nice they, they can they get they, they go into the public spaces absolutely absolutely they can be full members absolutely mm. women too is, women it sa- too. is it safe is it safe for them to be in the public areas yeah i think so okay. generally generally so mm-hmm. uh a lot of place a lot of them are probably on the 20-year waiting list mm-hmm. uh, because <laughs> it's only been open for about 20 At least, years please could i buy a t-shirt Tennis was the big thing here for some reason. They all grew up playing tennis. Tennis was very popular in 1920 in Seattle. Um, you know, that, that this this probably did. I don't know. Anyway, I my sister and I have gone there our whole lives. Uh-huh. And every single time, from the time she was five and I was seven, we stood there looking out at the lake and uh, and thinking to ourselves, why isn't there a beach here? Why isn't there anything it's a it's like a sporting club. Why isn't there anything for kids to do or any reason to be here other than Especially when you're a kid, you're constantly saying seeing all the things where somebody won't let you won't let you do something or hasn't realized something cool that can be done that is implicitly denied to you. And you're and there's so many times in childhood and then onward, if you can keep some of your youth where you're like, it's crazy to me that they're not using at least part of this area to do X or to yeah. allow people to do X. And obviously there's going to be some people say, oh, that could be a dog park or that could be, you know, a green space for public use or whatever. But um, there are times where you're like maybe reflecting where you are in life, but sometimes you're like, how do you own that tree and not have a tire swing on it? How, do you, have a, how do you have a tree that's over a very slow ramping kind of not a cliff, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. if you've got an oak tree with an area, well, like my friend Kenny's family had this giant tree. I, you can tell this is where this comes from. They're almost like jutted over where their hill suddenly, sorry, their backyard, their large like one acre backyard suddenly started going downhill. Yeah. And it was a, a fun and but safe enough way that with a truck tire on a chain, you could swing out like over like 15 feet in the air and then land back on the solid ground where you were intended to be on. Yeah. And if they had not had that there, I can tell you, anybody who moves into that house, you see that tree, you're like, why is there not a swing on that? Because right. that's how a kid works. That's how a kid's <clears throat> brain works. It isn't like, how do we keep out all the nature and jewelry in a way that we can maintain our, our clean golf cart path? Like, it's just your brain is so different. Well, there's a beach that's maybe a half a mile from the tennis club that is kind of one of those um, between two mansions sort of, uh, oh, this is public access and no one goes down here except for the people that know it's here. You have to push your way through a BlackBerry bush to get here. But they're not, but it, probably not going to make it real easy, well marked and easy for people to find. Yeah, the mansions yeah. don't don't even want it there. But it's Absolutely, been there yeah. since before, you know, since the the original platting, and the community, the whole town, just all agreed that this was going to be a clothing optional beach. What? Now, okay, was, that's surprising. Huh. It was never. 
Nobody ever wrote it down. It was never announced to anybody. What it was was people would go down to the beach, and then pretty soon they started wearing fewer and fewer things. It's like using uh, – it's like squatting. Yeah, and the first time you went down to that beach and saw a naked person there, you went, oh, I guess this is a naked beach now. And depending on how you felt about that, you either turned around and went to a different beach or you were like, yeah, finally, there's a naked beach. And in the 90s, it became – because it was the naked beach, it also became the alternative, like, cool, go down there and smoke weed beach because the nakeds aren't going to yell at you for smoking weed and nobody else is going to come down there because the nakeds are there. Got it. And so we would go there all the time. Until it became the creep beach because the nakeds realized. Oh, the the, the sex people discovered it. Well, because the, all the alternative girls were down there smoking pot. So then the nakeds would go down, the naked dudes would go down and be very like. So you can see the, the side boob of a stoned teen. Yeah, exactly. Oh no, it was much more about like, I'm naked and you have to look at me type Mm. of. Type of oh, I see, I see, I see. So then the alternative kids stop, stopped going down there because it was like, you know what? There are a lot of places to yeah. smoke pot. But if there, if a town can agree just by mutual acclaim, like, mm-hmm. oh, this is the this is the beach where it's just like, it, first of all, it's going to be nice nudists. Then it's going to be like cool kid hangout. Then it's going to be lame nudists. Like why they don't, why the tennis club can't have a beach for kids, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, well, yeah, I do, I do, and uh, uh, not obviously, but just in passing, also uh, famously unfriendly kind of to kids, except as a way, understandably, right? It's not for kids, you know. For it, it's these these spring out of a different, out of different generations where kids were supposed to be doing something different from adults almost all the time, mm-hmm. and there's usually some. Every culture has a rite of passage for when you're in between those two stages. And then once you're an adult, you're fucked and you have to golf with everybody else. Right? Oh, you have to golf. Yeah. Uh, but the um, uh, what you were saying, though, um, the stuff about uh, – wait, were you saying about teens and or, or about uh, kids and a beach? I think the place where – so it's a long story, but just – I'm not and I'm not trying to really exactly establish bona fides. But the thing that brought us to Florida from Ohio was my stepfather. And this restaurant that he was starting at a country club in, in what would become the place where I spent junior high and high school. What was the country club called? Um, I mean, I know. Should I say? Seven Springs Country Club. And it was real downscale. And for, I mean, I'm, I'm really not trying to drag anybody. You have to understand that in 1980, 79, 80 is when we moved there. Uh, I've told you this before, John, uh, that I lived in Florida. Yes. And in Florida, I lived in Pasco County. And in Pasco this. County, I lived in Colonial Hills. And Colonial Hills had the oldest median age of any neighborhood in the United States. <laughs> wow. When I, when I moved there, within a year, it was uh, the median age where I lived was 58. So if there you, are, li- if you lined up five lakes. people, the third person would be 58. There are a lot of lakes, like ponds and lakes yeah. in the area around Seven Springs. Yeah, but it's, I mean, I'm really not trying to drag it. All I'm trying to get is this. Even just take, please, let's just take it as red. This country club that was actually owned, of all things, by U.S. Steel huh. um, was very – it was mainly about selling these villas, which are mm. mainly like old people duplexes. And you become a member of this club. You live at Seven Springs. And this is where my family had like, you know, five ninety five Tuesday night prime rib night. It's that kind mm. of country club. And yeah. yet they maintained everything we were just talking about. It's very hostile to kids mostly, except as a way to get the kids that were there. But here's the thing. 
you were not allowed. This is the first place I had ever been aware of. Certainly the first place that I've ever, quote unquote, temporarily lived at, where to be a homeowner, I think you had to be at least 50. Mm-hmm. And to be a resident there, I think you had to be at least something like 20. Oh, you couldn't even be a kid that lived with their grandparents. To, I don't remember exactly what I, I do know that we temporarily rented a villa there because we had, we remember uh, 79, we had a Christmas chair, not a Christmas tree. It's around the time that I watched. Christmas um, chair. I could, whenever, let me put it this way. If anybody out there can find out when Salem's Lot aired on TV, because I'll never forget that. That's yeah. where I remember watching it there. But everything we're talking about, John, I mean, it was all just really cheap, nasty old people. Oh, yeah. The point I was going to make was that at that point, 58 years old, most of the people, almost everybody you encountered in where I lived was from the tri-state area and, well, really, especially New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and had bought houses starting, like, making payments in the 60s on, like, a $20,000 house and then moved there to be cheap in Florida and not pay taxes. Right. And, right? And so, but even that, even more so, maybe that became like the 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 retiring rot. Like they, everybody there was awful. They were just terrible, terrible people. It was not fun at all, and it was mainly about enforcing rules. It was like out of Seinfeld with Seinfeld, with Jerry's parents. Like it was all about like enforcing arbitrary rules on your friends, and like maintaining the order of the uh, Seven Springs Country Club. But no, and part of that mission was you got to keep kids out of there. Well, what's weird. What's weird is that in the Northwest, uh, it's all – the Northwest that I grew up in was so jumbled, and it only became more jumbled in terms of there not being any clear – like the the um, the social strata out here that people were very interested in, certain people were very interested in, that was th- – those were Southern people that had immigrated here um, – a lot of them after the Civil War, and they came here and they they tried to bring their Southern U- Union Union probably right. No, no, no. People from the South, okay, Confederate the veterans and their wives who came up here to get away from the fact that they'd lost everything or just they moved west. You know, they moved. West. I think some people just had a real tough time looking at any aspect of Reconstruction. Oh yeah, right. I mean, and it was they, not it was not easy for anybody, but like I bet that seemed especially galling to. Some of the Scots, they wanted to come, they wanted, they came, they came out here and they tried to get that going, but the, the, or not, not tried to get it going. They just bring it with them and, and establish it everywhere they go. Right. You put, Mm -hmm. you put four, uh, Southern women in a place and all of a sudden it's a club. Um, (laughs) Everybody's Martha Mitchell. But the problem is there were also a lot of Norwegians out here already. And uh, there were a lot of totally different head, John. Yeah, and there were a lot of people that just didn't totally different head. There's a there's a there's a reference. Square pig, square pig, they, square. They did square not. Picks. They did not. Uh, the people in the town did not naturally gravitate to nor obey any of the rules that the that the that the four southern women who started a tennis club were trying to impose. So there was always here. There was never a there was never a monoculture. There was never a white people culture because there were white peoples from all over and they didn't like each other or socialize with each other at all. <laughs> so there was never a, a way of dressing here. There was never a way of socializing. There was not a kind of unified str- like high class, low class. Uh, there were people just coming at it from all directions. And so, but I mean, does that lead to a kind of when I say friction? 
I don't mean like, but like a little bit of, uh, is that like a little bit of friction? Like an ongoing basis? Like we're all still figuring out how to deal with each other here? I, I think what it, one of the things that it built here culturally is a mind your own business culture. Um, it's why people are like, well, that's why people think that Seattle's kind of unfriendly. Everybody's polite and very friendly, but nobody wants to invite Nobody's up you. in your business. Well, nobody's up in your business. And it's very hard to get people to like actually come over for dinner. They will tell you they'd love to come over for dinner and they're going to have you over for dinner. I get but it. But no one's ever mm-hmm. really going to come to dinner unless you That's are. that Bellingham influence, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what what happened, what happens to me when I go to a place like Charleston or Savannah is seeing it in action where I, we arrived on a Sunday and we went down and drove around and then walked around all downtown mm-hmm. right when church was getting out and seeing all the people in their church clothes and realizing even in 2023, they were more in their church clothes than anyone in the West Coast I had ever seen in my entire life. I had never seen an entire church of people empty out in their church clothes because in the West, there's always going to be somebody in their fishing boots. Are these mostly black folks? No, not at all. This is Charleston. It's still oh, a very, it's still a very, very segregated place. I'm sorry, I was having a brain fart. Yes, I see. But like that whole, it's like the opposite of a country club or something. But like everybody is there putting some effort into it, and it's and it's like a half day thing. And for somebody like me who has kind of uh, you know spent a lot of time thinking about dressing nice and a lot of time thinking about class and status in America and what uh, what that all represents and yes. what you know and and how how much of that and you know and we spend a lot of time as like oh standards are declining and all this stuff but living in the west like your experience in florida is completely different and it adds so much to you your uh, you come to San Francisco and you can see San Francisco, but you've got all this. Not an old fashioned uh, word. I mean, wh- wh- wherever you go, I used to say this, you know, wherever you go, you're in the suitcase. I think you bring your sensibility with you. Yeah. That's the best word I could think of. Just a general sort of sensibility that encompasses things like expectations, uh, mores, all those sorts of things. And you go, oh, this is, this is different from what we've experiences I've had before. You know? Well, and, and, and growing up, in, growing up in the West and living almost all of my life in the in the Northwest and in some ways perched on the edge of the Northwest. Where have you lived that wasn't Washington or Alaska, except for I, a brief stint in New York a couple yeah, times, Yeah, brief right? stint in New York. But That's mostly, it. and but like if we put it on a timeline, it would be like Seattle, Alaska, back to Seattle, right? Yeah. Mostly? Born in Seattle, moved to Alaska. I have to admit, I don't, I can't have trouble keeping it all straight, like which yeah. years exactly, but I'm pretty sure you spent born so in, high school, born, high school, in high school in Alaska. Born in Seattle, moved to Alaska when I was... Two and a half, moved back to Seattle when I was four and a half, moved back to Alaska when I was nine and a half. Jesus, John. And lived there until I was 17 and a half, and then moved back to Seattle. And then I spent, you know, whatever that half a dozen years where I was traveling all around, travel, travel, travel. You haven't been back, you haven't lived in Alaska since you were 17. Right. I mean, my folks kept living there, so I would go home for Christmas. Sure, sure, sure. But, you know, I, I lived for four months in Washington, D.C. I lived for four months in New York City. Uh, and other than that, 
it was all, all my experience was traveling, right? Come stay for a week, go. Come stay for a week, go. No intention of putting down roots. No, or uh, certainly not, I never did. And then always, always back here. And so, so I, so, so looking at, at other places, is favorite, uh, favorite of, of mine to go places and look, uh, to, to do a, to do a check and see. But I have zero experience personally or culturally of being in any kind of environment where there's a where there's a well anything other than the Northwest culture that I grew up with, which is a very perched on the edge of the world culture. Hmm. And so being in Charleston and realizing like, oh, all of the the the, the symbolism of these bow ties on these these bow ties and these um, and these horn rim glasses that I in some ways have fetishized because those appear in all of the 1950s CIA movies that I love and they represent in black and white photographs to me. So you're talking about Atticus Finch. I'm talking about a lot of that. No, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm not saying just Atticus Finch, but like that immediately calls to mind for me Gregory Peck with the suit and the glasses and the like. That's right. And the solid spine of decency and, you know, church going people and doing the right thing and that sort of thing, right? Exactly. Exactly. And I have not, there was not, uh, none of that existed out here in that way. And it, and it's not that it, it didn't exist because it got papered over or because times had changed. It never existed here. It was never present here. It was everybody here. It's not the most fertile soil for that kind of seed to grow. Well, it was, it's just that in 1865, there were, 10,000 people in Seattle there, you know, everything that happened here happened post civil war basically. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. And so there wasn't any, uh, and people were coming here from everywhere at the time. So it was a, it was not like a, um, there wasn't like a white culture here that was getting overrun. Oh, that's such like, a, they say that when, if you've got a cat and you're going to get a new cat, I've heard this of many different kinds of animals, but especially with cats, if you're going to have, yeah, if you've had a cat at home and you're bringing in a new cat, it's critical to introduce them to each other. I'm going to say this carefully because I think this is so brilliant. You have to go take both cats separately to some place that neither one of them have been and let them meet each other there. Because they will, in their own cat way, my understanding is that in, the, in their own cat way, they will each assume that it's the other cat's home base. Oh. And they won't feel threatened. Whereas if you take it somewhere either of them has been to at all, they'll, it'll feel like the other one is coming in on their turf. I don't know if that's true, but I think it's a good analogy. It's weird when everyone would almost be like trying to make a basis for society at a train station or something, where everybody there is passing through but brings with them their own sensibilities, their own expectations. And you've got to kind of like figure out how we're going to deal in this public space together. And, and even if it's, a, it's a, train, a train station in Vancouver versus, versus a train station in Manhattan, like there's a lot in common, but they, they also do have their differences. Well, and on all of the, the different kinds of resource extraction cultures mm. hmm. and all of the different, you know, people came out here and they were not there was, it was not hospitable to plantation farming for sure. Um, and so what you had was the Scandinavians were like, look, we'll handle the <laughs> Let's fish. Try looking under the ground. And well, and there, you know, and there were people that were like, well, we'll do coal mining and lumbering 
And there were other people that were like, well, I know how to build a lumber mill, but I, you know, and then there was the gold rush, <laughs> but it was all about, um, being perched on the edge of the world. There was, it was not a, if you, if you built a tennis club or a country club here, it was kind of a, a laughable, like we're going to build a German deli to remind us of Germany. Uh, like we're going to build a club because that's what we had back at home. And it doesn't really function here except we, except we still need it. You know, we still need a, a place where we can keep other people out it's just that here, hmm. nobody was trying to get in. Not until now. You know, now there's a 20-year waiting list. But in 1950, there wasn't. You know, mm -hmm. in 1950, it was like um, the only people that wanted to be there were the people that were there. So so going to the going to the South and seeing the Atticus Finches actually walking around still, not just in their Atticus Finch clothes, but carrying around all their Atticus Finch history and – my host, my host in Charleston looked so much like that character. I saw, I saw 50 a day walking around where you're like, I don't like, think he was wearing a seal? seersucker suit, but he might as, but he wasn't comical. It was less Andy Griffith and more Atticus Finch. Well, there were no seersucker Very dignified, suits, very dignified uh, guy. Being worn because it was March and everybody there knew better than to wear a seersucker suit in March. I mean, all that stuff they still are thinking of, right? Mm -hmm. They are not going to wear white shoes before Labor Day. Oh boy. And all of that out here, my whole life, it's always been cosplay and I'm an American and I have history all over and I feel like I, I, I partly own or, you know, have some kind of proprietary ownership of the American story, but really, and I've known this my whole life. It's just, it keeps being reinforced. When I left Anchorage at 17 and came down to the United States, I was in that weird position of being an American who had really never been to America. Uh -huh. And everything I knew about America was uh, was a cosplay. You guys might as well like, have been in another country. Every time I would see the Sears commercial where it said prices are slightly higher in Alaska and Hawaii, <laughs> it would always underscore how much. No, I'm I'm serious, yeah. and and I I I appreciate and want to thank you for saying you came down to America because guys, it only became a state like almost in my lifetime. Uh, those the Alaska and Hawaii became before I was born. They became states around the time that the last Confederate veteran or the last Civil War veteran died. That's how <laughs> so that's how America works. We've had a real short amount of time to do all of this, and really, it must have it must have felt apart even visiting. But then coming down here, it must have been almost like when I how I felt first going to Canada. Like oh, it's so close. It's weird, but the differences well, are unavoidable. Well, except we all very much identified as Americans. So sure. it was like coming home from the moon or coming home from, from, yeah, like a, like a space colony where I was like, now I'm in America. Now look at them. Look at those Americans. They're me. I'm I, hello. Hello. Like, hello. <laughs> Are you from the South? Hello. Nice to meet hey, you. Hey, Betty Grable. You know, hey, hey, and, drop the much. <laughs> and I did this all the first time I heard somebody, the uh, first time I went to New York and heard somebody go, hey, get out of here. I was like, no way. Look at, oh, look, sit look, look. on it. You're amazing. Wow. America. And, and I continued to feel that way until I felt like I adopted enough of a jaded, like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've been everywhere. But going to Charleston, where, a place I'd never been. To a kind of deep south situation where I wasn't playing music, so all I had to do all day was just sort of walk around and look look in people's windows. 
I realized I still have it. I'm still like, oh my God, look at you. Look at you. <laughs> right, right. You're so cute. You're so, this is so amazing. It's and so also, cool. like, wow, all the history here. Like, whoa. And, you know, and I'm listening to every word people say as they walk us around and kind of go, like, well, now this is the, this is the house where the enslaved people lived. And I'm like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> like, you know, I'm watching them as closely <laughs> this is as where, anything. This is where we chose to house our guests. Well, what I what I what I've discovered is that everyone in the in a forward facing role, uh, tourism wise, in those two cities, says enslaved person. No one says slave anymore, and it's it was an example of a kind of you know language change uh -huh. that that the first time I heard it I was like interesting choice of words, and then as the as the ten days progressed, I was like oh of course that is a that is a tremendous shift, a tremendous shift. I, I In, think that's an example of people trying. Yeah. Because really what you're trying. saying is, I mean, like, I know we don't all agree with this and including me, but I do see if I had to look at this, there's a pattern in general, which is let's stop calling people what we've always called them that we think they quote unquote are. And let's first start with the fact that these are each people and they're people that then may have some sort of an adjective that describes their situation with them. But like, Whereas we used to say, you know, a pretty unkind word for people who had any kind of, we used to call people cripples. We don't do that anymore, right? That's kind of gross. And you could even say disabled, but a disabled person, like there's somewhere like unhoused person. I understand why we say that out of respect, but it does sometimes feel like an unuseful euphemism. But I, I could see, I can see why there are sometimes you would want, want to say enslaved person and other time where you might really want to say slaves. Well, if you're pointing is, out the shit you did, I think it's okay for you to call them slaves. Hey, you know what? You know how we're able to sell this woman and her son because they were slaves. They were enslaved people. It's a difference between between a noun and an adjective, mm -hmm. as you said, big right? difference. Yeah. And every every person that gave me a tour of a of an old house or a of a old fort or whatever in those two states, very definitely said enslaved person, and they said it very comfortably. They did not. They, nobody tripped over they, it. Or it was, choking on it. And, it was yeah. absolutely like a, 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 it was a thought technology that people down there had adopted. Like, oh, right. This is this actually is a meaningful difference and it's important to make that distinction. And that that, uh, you know, that resonated with me in a way that unhoused person feels like a West Coast affectation. That's not that is not actually doing the same heavy lifting. Right, that enslaved person is doing heavy, heavy lifting, not just in the people that are hearing it said, but the people that are saying it. We were these people weren't born well, some of them were eventually born slaves, but they were they were born human beings. It is we who enslaved them. Right. Well, just realize realizing that that um that a, a lot of the symbolism that that people attach to all that stuff that I that I recognized in that I've always recognized in theory, right? That, but not in theory, like reading the reading about American culture. I, I've always been in the, 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 uh, I've always read it both as an American and also as someone who f has never felt really any of it, like felt the real feeling of waking up in a town that has history where my, where and, and that's not that's not true because because um, I have a lot of history in Seattle and 
and Anchorage, but both of those places, it really felt like living history, right? Like my, my father and uncle were the people that were, that were making the history. It wasn't five generations ago. It wasn't, you know, we didn't live on any particular side of the tracks because there weren't any tracks, right? And, and trying to understand the importance, the significance of, of those deep, deep, deep traditions in places and how those traditions <laughs> are still manifesting in these people that are dressed like Atticus Finch. You might the, identify yourself as more of a South Carolinian. Well, there certainly was a time in, in, on this continent, let's put it that way, where people thought of themselves much more as a South Carolinian than obviously as an American. Right, right, And I'll right. bet there are people who think of themselves more as a, I don't know the word, a Charles, Charlestonian. Like, I bet, the thing is, do, do you see yourself as an American over everything else? Do you see, you know what I mean? Like, do you feel like you are an expression of, an, of a national or state culture, or do you feel like you're living in a place that reflects what your people built? I mean, there's a lot of different ways to think about that just situationally all the time. And what was tricky was I was comfortable in Charleston. Um, I liked the fact that people were dressed up. I liked the fact that there were, uh, that when you went into a restaurant on a Tuesday night for dinner, um, people were wearing jackets. Uh, and it I, was, I was, I was actually warned about that. Yeah. 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 And, like Mer and Merlin, uh, I know you're, you're from San Francisco and you dress a little bit. Kind of casual, but when we go out tonight, you might want to, you know, just kind of <laughs> wear a tie. Well, and 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 <laughs> I brought a blazer and a tie with me, kind of suspecting it, yeah. right? Like I'm going to the south, I'm going to these cities. I'd better have a blazer, and I was glad I did. Um, and I liked it because here in Seattle, you can go to the nicest restaurant in the city, and I, nobody's wearing a blazer. Well, you called it cosplay, and I think that's true, but it's also a funny way to put that. But the truth is. Sometimes it's fun to dress up and there are places like can, could another one. I don't know if it's still like this, but last time I was in Manhattan, if you were going out to a steakhouse at night, you'd wear a jacket. Oh, for sure. I mean, like for that sure. sounds, well, I'm saying that cause I live in San Francisco now right, and right, it's right. not like you can walk in looking like a total chode. Like you still have to wear clothes that look nice, but you know, no, no shoes, no shirt, no service is not a sign that's needed on, on most steakhouses. Right. Right. Like and they, you, if you're there, you know. But what I what what I was conscious of in 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 being down there and being like I'm comfortable here I'm I'm happy <laughs> with this Am I comfortable um, Why What part of this formality do I like <laughs> Well or what what about this that I, that I'm comfortable with is something that now I need to think I need to really think about what it is I'm comfortable with or what it right. is about this that I'm looking for Like why is everybody so nice here and or, you know what I mean? Like, like yeah, yeah. Where, where does that, when, uh, there's a thing that I walk away with a feeling that feeling came from an action or in this case, usually an interaction, but like, oh, is that, how should I tumble that over in my little mental rock tumbler to realize the basis for why I got treated that particular way? And, and what, you know, like I'm always look. I think a lot of us now in America are thinking, um, is there a last best place? Is there, it, it, it never used to feel like, um, like the good places were, were few and far between in the United States. It felt like the good places mm -hmm. were everywhere and, uh, and you picked a good place and then that you were from that good place and people were from that other good place. And now more and more, it feels like, God, I, I'd really like to find a place where I felt 
at home, right? Um, and do I feel <laughs> that way in my own place anymore? You know, it do feels I like feel like a lot more of a crapshoot? And I'm I'm not doing this to be the way that this sounds, but you know, a lot's changed, especially over a period of time. But like the thing is, and it's it's always been somewhat unkind to say things like "oh, flyover states" and blah blah. I mean that that seems like flyover state seems like the kind of thing somebody in a flyover state would make up to to feel wounded. Doesn't it sound like something I would ever say, but whatever. Right. I know what it means. I've used it. But coastal communities, you have a better your your batting average will be better at randomly choosing from a large coastal community than from choosing the large amount of space in between in a way that did not probably used to be the case. I think. I suspect. I bet. I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, a place like St. Louis, a place like, you know what I mean? Like some of these cities that are like, they call it the Midwest, but it's really kind of getting into the South. I was watching the NASA channel yesterday and thinking about how much stuff in NASA goes on in Alabama. And I wonder if there has been a point or will be a point where people who work at NASA, you know, people who are very esteemed scientists might, uh, but there's times when it's been kind of uncomfortable to live in Atlanta and work at NASA. Well, uh, NASA is almost Atlanta, entirely. I'm sorry, Alabama. I apologize. NASA is almost entirely based in Florida, Texas, and Alabama. Like it's a. Yeah. It is. It's not. It's like Houston. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's it's not like a uh, like a, a thing that there's a lot of NASA stuff in Minneapolis. Although I'm sure we're going to hear immediately. I would have put it in like, St. Paul, but <laughs> I I live in Minneapolis and I work at NASA. What are you talking about? Hey, <laughs> you guys don't know anything. Let me clear. Let me clarify a couple issues for you, Mister Roderick. <laughs> Um, and, and in the process of what was the, we used a good verb as I was interrupting you for how you're thinking about that. How do you process that? Well, I'm how still you, processing it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm still, I'm still going you're talking the part of the part about like trying to remain circumspect about, Hmm, like maybe I shouldn't love this too much. Well, or, you know, or maybe uh, before I went down there, I would have, I would have been, been very comfortable saying that there was nothing in South Carolina for me. And going to South Carolina, then I'm confronted with, oh, well, there is stuff here for me. What is that stuff? And, you know, I'm not predisposed to immediately say all the stuff that's here for me is, is, uh, is weird and liking it is weird. And I need to go back to, you know, I need to go back to, to school in order to, uh, in order to make sure that I, that I know how, how bad I am and how bad the world is. Um, so being there and saying like, okay, this is, this is a lot more complicated and interesting than I thought. And what, what am I going to take away? Right. It is a choice. You do have a choice to take away what you want to take away. Mm -hmm. And there isn't, you're not actually obligated to, to get out your little red book and flip to the appropriate page and, and, and see what you're, you're allowed to take away from an experience like that. But if you're responsible to yourself, you're going to try at least to, to figure out like what, what are the, what are the takeaways that I don't want to absolutely that aren't my like happiest takeaways. It's one thing to just keep kind of searching around for a place where you always feel welcome. And I feel like it's quite a different and deeper thing to go like, well, is there why <laughs> turn it completely? And this is not saying you, but like for me, sometimes it has been instrumental after years and years and years ago. Well, okay, I didn't like that place. Why didn't I like that place? I didn't feel welcome there. Oh, is that a place where I thought I would feel welcome? And what made me not feel welcome? Because if I sit with that for a while, sometimes that can be really useful. It, yeah. it, it's skillful. It can be skillful to to like go. Well, maybe there's a reason I didn't feel well. I mean, 
like, like the best example I can think of Hawaii. I felt incredibly unwelcome in Hawaii. Mm. And it did not take long for me to figure out why I felt welcome and for it to make complete sense. Well, right. Right. Uh, it's it's like uh, almost everybody I encountered in Hawaii really hated that I was there, and I <laughs> I think it's I think if you've had a, if one has had a difficult time understanding that one has probably not thought about it very much. Well, right. But then then the the question is, you know, there are a lot of questions that follow from that. And uh, absolutely. I'm just trying to say that if if you go into an well, not you, but if one goes into an environment and immediately feels welcome and has never had to question think about process any part of. Oh, they, they, I'm welcome here because I rule, rather than is there any other reason why I feel welcome here? Whereas I love being in Hawaii in some ways, apart from having all my shit stolen. But I, I also learned something about it where I was like, oh, ugh, the food here is weird and the people are kind of mean and enough with the shave ice. And it's like, well, yeah, dude. Me, but like, can you learn anything from that? Well, I think the primary thing you learn is that Hawaii is not for you. Um, the, well, and the, the people have their reasons for being a little bit cranky that people come in there and like, you know, want to run the joint. Well, yeah, but that's kind of, that's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like there's a, there's a, um, there's a, a thing that, that in particular people like you and me in the West, um, who are, uh, who have, who have been through many, many processes of education and reeducation that go into those situations and go, oh, well, I don't have a right to feel good in Hawaii. Because of all these historical, uh, you know, factors, uh, and because of race, class, and other, and so I felt uncomfortable in Hawaii, and I deserve it, or I felt uncomfortable in Hawaii, and that no, is just, and that's just. But you can walk into a bookstore, a record store, any city. Like there's so many places where you could walk in, and somebody as dumb as me, my entire worldview, my entire lighthouse of dreams that I've created in my head about a place falls apart as soon as I meet somebody who's super cool. And I don't want to say just nice, but who like I realize is in my, at least my grand falloon, if not my caress, and then go like, oh, you know, that was kind of shitty of me to be like that. <laughs> like this yeah. person rules, you know? Yeah. And, and those, those, those places, Charleston in particular, but Savannah also, I, I needed to spend more time in Savannah. But you know, all the things that are troubling about those places then and now can all be true and, and, and yet it can still be a very surprising place. You know, mm -hmm. very, it was, it, it, it defied my, uh, stereotypes. It defied my expectations. And I don't mean to say all in a good way. Um, it just, I wasn't prepared for it. And a lot of the stuff had to do with this sort of race class stuff, but also little stuff like I really, really, why does everybody here dress like Atticus Finch? I didn't know that ever existed, let alone still exists. Mm -hmm. And I'm attracted to that because I see it as a thing out of space and time. I see it as a, hmm. because I don't have all the, the cultural backstopping. I'm, I'm looking at it in, in some ways, just aesthetically, like my daughter does when she looks at a Disney princess, like she's not looking at a Disney princess and going, well, this really, you know, ec has echoes in Austro-Hungary in the 1810s, you know, <laughs> she, she hasn't read Roland Barthes. <laughs> no, she just looks at the, at right. the, at the outfits and likes them. But you know, and, the elephant in the elephant, John, uh, the, as the dumb guy all pointed out, it, it's, it must be really, uh, bracing, invigorating to know that travel still has something 
not, not merely to offer you, but like it has a way to change you and make you think. That must still feel really good because you love you love that experience, I think, or you you crave that experience of like bring it on, bring me the new thing, and like it must feel good. It must be somewhat renewing, personally and civically, to go like you know that was that was cool and I learned something and I I travel still has things to show me. What well, what what's weird is you think. At, at, at my age, I've felt very strongly like, well, I've never been to India and I need to go to India. And, you, you know, you, you start to work up all the thing, all the reasons you need to go to India, all the <laughs> all the things that if if I've never been to India, then I how can I possibly have a sense of the world? Um, but to find that. Because, what you know, going to Charleston was enough of a shock but but what it did was remind me that when I go to Yakima, that experience is available. Hmm, you know, that's a you, really good way to put it. Yeah. When you go to Stockton, yeah. I mean, there are places in California that are that are less than an hour from where you are that you can go and have a cultural shock. Absolutely. And we're just not prepared. You never we know. Just what, what, well, you're going to walk in one of those doors or through you know some kind of a, a threshold. And you're going to have an experience that's very different than what you had in your mind. And that's, it's easy for me anyway to forget that that's part of what makes going any place interesting is, yes, you do bring yourself along in the suitcase, but there's a you carrying that suitcase who can decide like how you deploy how you are. Right, right, right. Well, and, and the fact that a thing is only an hour and a half from here doesn't mean I know it. It doesn't mean I know it any better. Dude, you know this area, one of the best things about this goddamn godforsaken stupid fucking city is 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 actually legit incredible that I can ride my bike. First of all, it's incredible that I can ride my bike across the Golden Gate Bridge, and then just go up that little hill to the left, and then I can in the Marin Headlands. I can look down mm-hmm. at San Francisco as everyone should, or I can look out at the water. You know what I'm saying though? Like Muir yeah, Woods. Yeah. My my kid is considering an internship at Muir Woods. Like that's not that far away. All that stuff is right here. There's snow on Mount Tam last week. There's all that's that insane. kind of stuff where you're like, you know. Travel is what you ever, whatever you want it to be. Yeah. Well, I mean, just going when, the, when we were in San Francisco uh, this fall, mm-hmm. and you know, we were driving up from, we were driving up from um, whatever down there, and we came up along the. the <laughs> That's what John up, calls Los Angeles <laughs> and San Diego on, down came, there. <laughs> we came up along the front. We were on the front side. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, we're in the sunset. You're in. You're in the good third. I was I was in I was in the sun, the sunset your neighborhood yeah and a, a place I've been many many times and driving along the beach there been there many many times and then kept going along the coast in a place that I had never done because usually we turn up at Golden Gate Park and we head into the city because <laughs> that's where things are happening yeah yeah you yeah. don't continue along you're seeing all of the places that I ride my bike a lot I know and I, I was texting you and you were like I go there all the time. And all of a sudden, I'm in a part of San Francisco that in all the many, many, many years of going there, I'd never been. And it's not that I'd never been because it was because of any reason. I had just never gone. No, it's like when people ask me why I didn't watch a TV show or finish watching a movie. And it's like, there's less than a reason. There's null reason. It's just because of life. Yeah, you know, know, Golden Gate Park, it's kind of cooler than you think. You know what's cool? You can go and see bison. Oh my God, look at the bison. That's amazing. But you know what? Almost nobody knows. Right, literally across the street from the bison is what looks like a private club, but you can kind of walk in back and they have these long, beautiful lanes of water for practicing fly fishing. And it's the most serene place in the world. 
So there's places <laughs> inside of places, and you don't have to move your car. You could park and go look at the ladies, because you're know, just saying, no, John, Brady's bits, all the bisons are ladies. Oh. Because if you bring in men, it becomes complicated. Oh, sure. But literally, you could park your car right there, go look at the six bison or whatever, and then go across the street to this place nobody ever goes. And, and But that's that's the, that's the whole world. There's, I mean, yeah. the whole world is, you made me think, when talking about country clubs, you immediately made me think of that Christopher Alexander book, uh, Pattern Language, which is just an amazing work. I know you know this, but for our listeners, it's just a, a book, this team, the series of books this team has written about ways to build communities, houses, everything, all the way down to, it's nice to, in, in your house, it's nice to have an area where you can hang out and read a book and, and have sunshine. Like, yeah. that's a pattern. Use that. Like, and the thing is, if you remove all those patterns and turn it into drive your car here and get out, and then get back in your car and drive back, that's you're not you're gonna miss a lot of the good little patterns, little the good nooks and crannies. You're gonna miss the fly fishing pools of life. I really feel during the pandemic that I had a new way of seeing. Um, yeah, like a renewed appreciation. Yeah, that a lot of us did because all oh, of a sudden sure. you're uh, uh, so many of the distractions are gone, and now you really are like there's nothing for us to do today. Except go. I can't believe how much I missed going to the library or walking through Stern Grove. Right, right. I mean, we, my kid and I spent so much time turning over rocks on the beach and looking at crabs, because that was the most action that we were gonna that we were gonna get, and it was a it but was. But also, you re. I mean, like, as I said before, I really missed all the things. I'm sorry to bring it back to this, but like going to the library, which is the dumbest thing in the world, as you know, it's very near our house. It's closer than our Walgreens. And like, we used to go there all, 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 all the time. And I got to see what it was like to have a little kid at different points in that person's life being with me in a library. And I missed a year and a half or two years of the ga- that. And I'll always be kind of bitter about that. Something as dumb as going to the library was taken away from us. And by not by anybody, but by the universe. And that bummed me out. But we then, I became even, I started missing things like, I was watching Brazilian, I never know how to pronounce the word, Brazilian steakhouse videos last night. And I was like, it's been so long. We used to go like twice a year. My kid and I would go to the Brazilian steakhouse in, you know, kind of near Valencia. And I don't know, there's just like all those kinds of things. And you start to like, not just that you have to dig up new things to make memories of, but that like, don't you reappreciate things like, oh, you know, we have this backyard that's kind of cool. And it's like, that's all its own kind of travel. If you're going somewhere you don't usually go with open expectations, I think you're beginning to travel well. Yeah, that to keep that in mind every time you walk out the door. Ugh. You know, I I, I wrote right. I wrote a, a little group of of friends last night a text, and um, and I said I was just in Charleston and and Savannah, and every night we went to a different nice restaurant that was on the list of when you're in Charleston you have to go to the blank. And so the, none of them were that nice, you know, but they were all the, the places that you're supposed to go. Mm-hmm. If, if you're in town, you have to go to, to this place. And I, so I, you know, my little, my little gang of, of it's you like the, had so much shrimp and grits, a lot of shrimp and grits, oh, but so I also lucky. made the mistake of going to steakhouses where it's like, why am I good? It's, it's like, it's like getting yeah. barbecue in Austin. It's like, don't get barbecue, get, get tacos. When you're in New York city, get steak. But so I, I wrote this little little gang and I said, I have no idea what restaurants there are on Capitol Hill, my former net, uh, neighborhood. Yeah. There have got to be 50 that I've never been to. 
Like when, when I lived up there, there was not a ramen place in Seattle. Now there are probably 15 ramen places just on Capitol Hill. On a, in uh, a Pacific Rim city like Seattle. Because we were the teriyaki capital. We were not the oh. ramen capital. What, what's that right? kind of food? Remember those green noodles? What kind of food is that? What's that cuisine? Well, that's like Sichuan. Okay. But, but so I wrote them and I was like, good look, noodles. we're all dudes in our 50s. This is going to sound really pretty sus, as the kids say. Yep, yep, yep. But why don't we start a food gang where we just go to the restaurants in our own neighborhood that we've never been to that are on the list of places that if we were visiting Seattle, we would feel like we had to go. Uh, that's a really – I used to be in a, an ad hoc organization for a few years and this, this, uh, it's just, just the the name that existed for this before I was even part of the group was called the Gentleman Who Dined. And at the time, back when we were all young and we had a little bit of money and not kids, uh, once a month or so, we would go out to a nice restaurant together, wearing jackets and ties and stuff. And you know, whether you do that, you know, once a year or whatever, there's so many benefits to that, John. First of all, you're making sure you check in with your guys or your your who's whoever's. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But also that doesn't that kind of fit what you're doing here? You're like, you're not strictly playing tourists. You're saying like, let's go to like, but this is about our friendship. This is about rediscovering our city. Like there's a whole number of small projects that could coalesce around this. Yeah. The, and, and one of the big projects was that one of the people I had on the list uh, on this group, this text group, I had only just recently gotten to be friends with. And in the course of our conversation, he had mentioned these other friends of mine that he also knew and liked, but didn't really get, didn't really know. And so I mentioned him to these other friends in passing and each of them said, oh, I've always wanted to get to know that guy. He seems really great. Oh, John, this is a win, 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 win. So I was like, well, why don't we do this then? Why don't we all have a, gra- a gang and we'll all get to know uh, Mr. Guy that we all think is great and we'll get to know each other. We'll really get to know ourselves. And we'll start to be, we'll start to, uh, well, I'm tired of driving through a neighborhood that at one level I feel like I built or helped build and seeing restaurants. You were there, John. You were there before it was cool. You were Capitol Hill before it was Capitol Hill. That's right. And I'm driving by and it's restaurant after after restaurant after restaurant that I've never been in that I have no reason to go to because... I'm not, you know, if I'm hungry, I'm going to go to the place where when I walk in the door, they go, John, John! I'm not going to go to a place where I walk in the door and somebody's like, sorry, you know, uh, five, I- 10 minutes. <laughs> 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 <laughs>